episode 223, Digital Therapeutics, Which Ones Make the Cut? Today, I speak with Megan Coder, Executive Director of the Digital Therapeutics Alliance. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know, talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Last time I looked this up online, there were more than 5,000 companies offering digital medicine technology tools. Which ones worked? Which ones are less good than others? Which ones have not been tested? How were they tested? Apples to apples or a whole fruit basket of standards? If you are a clinician or the head of pop health or an insurance carrier, and you're looking to try to figure out whether a digital tool could help solve a problem that your patients are having at this juncture, may the force be with you, and I hope you know how to use Excel. The Digital Therapeutics Alliance aims to put definitions and standards around what can be legitimately called a digital therapeutic and how these tools are best deployed so that patients are best equipped to get the best possible outcomes. Today, I speak with Megan Coder, Executive Director of the Digital Therapeutics Alliance. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Megan. Thank you. I'm so glad to be joining you today. I want to make sure that we get first things first, but I feel like it's a bit of a chicken and an egg. I want to ask you to talk about the Digital Therapeutics Alliance and what your mission is, but then I also want to ask you to define a digital therapeutic. So <laughs> why don't we start out with what is the Digital Therapeutic Alliance, and then we'll get into what is a digital therapeutic, which I think warrants some conversation. I could see a few conversation topics there. <laughs> so DTA, the Digital Therapeutics Alliance. We are an industry-founded group that came together in mid-2017, and it really was the idea of a few core key founders in this area who realized the value of trying to create a baseline understanding throughout this industry of what this industry even is. What even is a digital therapeutic? What principles should they adhere to? What types of ideas should we be trying to promote in terms of clinical validation and quality and regulatory oversight? Who are the founders? Who took it upon themselves to start an organization with a mission such as DTAs? Pierre Laurent from Valentis was really had this initial idea at JP Morgan about two years ago. And he got together with uh, fellow CEOs and leaders of digital therapeutic companies, looking at groups like Achille and Propeller Health and WellDoc and Omada. And then Pair Therapeutics came on pretty quickly afterwards. How are you defining a digital therapeutic? When we're talking about a digital therapeutic, we're looking at a product that has software at the core of it that is an intervention that is being delivered directly to a patient. That intervention has to be making a claim to either prevent, manage, or treat a medical disease or disorder. So when we're looking at it, we're not looking at a variety of other products that keep getting lumped into this general idea of digital medicine and digital health and wearables and M health and all these other things out there. So we're looking at a very narrow subset of the digital health area. But that said, this subset is really a new category of medicine, given that these are products that are actually making medical claims and actually delivering, not just tracking, interventions to patients. 
Okay, so I'm going to name a couple of things and you tell me whether they're a digital therapeutic or not. Ready. How about the symptom trackers or those fitness trackers? In their purest form as of now, no, those are not digital therapeutics. Until it's actually taking that information, generating some sort of intervention and delivering it back to a patient along the lines of medical guidelines in an evidence-based format, those would not be a digital therapeutic. How about all of the apps that claim to drive adherence? Those neither are digital therapeutics. Digital therapeutic could have an and will likely have an adherence perspective to the product, but the main goal of that digital therapeutic really does need to, again, be delivering an intervention to a patient, and adherence would likely be a secondary benefit of a digital therapeutic. How about the Apple Watch now having the AFib alert built in? As of my understanding, that is actually a digital diagnostic. So it's a tool that you can use to understand a little bit more about your health, but it is actually itself not taking that information, doing something with it, and then delivering a clinical intervention back to you. So maybe a digital therapeutic, correct me if I'm wrong, it's almost like a medical treatment in and of itself. Precisely. We're starting to say if you're making this level of claim, you're likely going to need to achieve a much higher level of quality and evidence and regulatory validation than another product would. So that is why, in part, that that differentiation is so important. So as a payer or a healthcare provider or a patient, you at least now know what questions to ask or what expectations to have of a product if it is a digital therapeutic versus an adherence, diagnostic, telehealth, or health and wellness app. Well, that's fair because if you have one of those other tools and it's within the clinical workflow and it makes the clinical workflow more efficient or it helps mm -hmm. with diagnostics or it helps scale a best practice or whatever it is you're trying to do, it might not actually be fair in a certain way to evaluate that tool. Its success is so very dependent on how the EHR system is working or the clinician's experience or whatnot. Whereas if you're talking about a digital therapeutic as you're defining it, then it needs to stand alone. When you're looking at a digital therapeutic, in the way that they operate, it's really extending clinical care to a patient outside of the immediate healthcare environment that that patient may have been prescribed or dispensed of medication or digital therapeutic. So it's enabling a patient to be able to receive ongoing care that is at a clinical level throughout their daily life and wherever they live and wherever they happen to be. I think the one caveat that still is important is that in order for these to be prescribed or covered or looped back into healthcare providers' understanding of how a patient is doing, there still is a crucial aspect of them needing to be a part of a medical record system or a dispensing system or a prescribing system. So they do have to be integrated in many regards for many products to pay on the claims they're making. But to your point, they are supposed to work independently and really account for the patient's environment and all the possibilities that may happen while a patient is using this and really act as that treatment outside of the traditional 30 to 60 minute appointment if 
one is as lucky to get that long of an appointment. <laughs> we could all be optimists. Yeah. So I definitely want to s- circle back to how do you best create or fold or integrate digital yeah, therapeutics definitely. into a clinical workflow. But first, I'll tell you what I'm really excited to hear about, Megan, because I have a feeling that you have some great examples of some digital therapeutics that you're excited about. Within our alliance, we have, I think, about 28 members right now. And I took a jot list down of all the types of indications I've heard them speak about either creating market-ready products or that are in the development phases. Going down the A to Z route, some ideas revolve around asthma, ADHD, autism spectrum disorder, COPD, concussion, depression, diabetes, GI issues, insomnia, multiple sclerosis, obesity, oncology, opioid use disorder, Parkinson's, schizophrenia, sleep, stroke rehabilitation, substance abuse disorder, and traumatic brain injury. So I think what's really valuable, even though I just sped through that list, is showing that there is a depth and breadth already emerging in this industry. So I will be the first to admit that this is a new industry. This is a new category of medicine. And a lot of these products are really under that developmental phase of really getting to that point of market readiness. That said, there are a number of products that are already out there that have been really great to see. I think Blue Star is an example by WellDoc. It's really focused on diabetes and it takes in and analyzes the reports, blood glucose test results and supports medication adherence, but it provides proactive coaching messages to patients that are motivational, behavioral and educational, really based upon what the patient is doing and when they're doing it. So it's looking at trends, it's looking at current values, it's looking at who the patient is and what they need to be doing to really get them to a point where you can actually make the claim eventually lowering their A1Cs by up to two points, which is unheard of for many medications. Another one that I really love talking about is Propeller, and they are focused in that asthma and COPD space. So while they have a piece of hardware that is associated with the inhalers that a patient would use for the rescue medications, they also take into account what the pollution levels are in the air and the allergens that a patient may be facing that day and the activity levels. With the software and hardware integration, they start to use their software to identify what are patient's triggers and help people realize what their triggers could be and how they could avoid them. The results they've come away with are really cool to see in terms of lowering the utilization of a rescue inhaler or improving the overall adherence to current medications and just general abilities to start to recognize that a patient may not have to go to the ER as frequently or have to use support services as much. So two products, there are many others that we could talk about, but I think the whole vision of this industry is really trying to address physical, mental, and behavioral issues across a broad spectrum of disease states that really haven't had good treatments, really being able to address those issues in a really holistic way, I think is one of the many promises of this industry. I am pleased to report that we have an episode with Anad Eiler from WellDoc, which is episode 102. So if anyone is interested in learning more about WellDoc, there you go. And episode 32 was with Kevin Houlihan, who was formerly with uh, Propeller. Definitely a deep dive there. Tracking back right now to something that you said about making sure, you know, one of the things that is important is ensuring that these digital therapeutics get integrated within the workflow. That obviously is really important because if a provider is treating or caring for these patients, they have to have an easy way to make sure that the digital therapeutic gets to the patient. 
I've noticed that in that list, you name the very specific targeted types of things, you know, for example, COPD or stroke or substance abuse disorder. I mean, those are not something that you would give to everybody. So I could see as a clinician, it would be very difficult to have an A to Z list of various digital therapeutics and know what was available for who, you know, like for every patient, do I have to have a little directory and go through <laughs> and figure out what the approved for my organization? Is there like a formulary or something? Actually, yes. Digital therapeutics are starting to be added in two different formulary types. Some health systems will have a digital formulary that has all digital products available that clinicians could use or recommend for a patient. Others are starting to be looked at in terms of actually integrating them into the traditional formularies alongside of medications. I could see from a clinician standpoint, you know, one of the things that I have heard several times, and when I say several, I mean many, it's really difficult for clinicians in the heat of the moment to have targeted therapies available to them. And, and I mean digital and, and even otherwise, like educational opportunities. You know, they want something that works for everybody because then you can give it to everybody as a habit. You know, you can put it in the process guideline, give everybody this thing or go to this one library because all this stuff is there. It would seem that it adds a management challenge or a clinical workflow challenge to have things which are only appropriate for some patients. How is that being managed? If you think about this in more of a traditional medication standpoint, you wouldn't want to prescribe the medication to every single person. You'd want to prescribe that medication to that person for a specific reason and for a specific time. Digital therapeutics fall into that category. They are designed for specific patient populations for specific reasons and for specific lengths of time. They are in many regards that product that is very similar to a medication. So they are being prescribed for 30 or 60 days at a time for a very specific reason and outcome. The whole point of the digital therapeutic, or one of the many points, is providing that data and that insight into how that patient is doing. So you could know eventually as a provider, should I escalate therapy? Should I de-escalate therapy? Does a patient even need therapy anymore? And I think that's a real value point because that statin medication isn't going to tell you anything specific, but the digital therapeutic will. These are actually delivering outcomes and information for a provider to be able to say, okay, you did this and then that. And the actual result of that data is me being able to make a decision now based upon this insight that I never would have had otherwise. What are the best practices for integration that you're seeing? Like, for example, they're in order sets, you know, like, so you're looking at an order set for someone. And, you know, if the patient meets certain criteria, then click on this link and it's going to take you to the mechanism by which the digital therapeutic is distributed to patients. And just one final point on that. Because unlike a drug, you know, like in the order set, you can have the link to prescribe the drug. But then exactly like you said, you prescribe the drug and you're kind of done. In this particular case, you need to hook it up in some fashion that you're getting the data on the back end as well, which is also integrated. So not only is there a front end to the prescribing, if you will, but then there's also a back end to ensure that there's that feedback loop that's set up. You asked one question that has so many facets of answers to it. So I'm good like that. Well done. So looking at this world, I would love to say that we have this all figured out. And that's part of the reason why the Alliance exists. Not to avoid your question, but our first year of the Alliance really was focused on, let's just define. 
What core principles should these all meet? How would a payer healthcare provider even know what to look for or ask about? So we did that. And now we're embarking on this exciting and slightly overwhelming experience of how do we start to prepare this industry for that scalability factor? At this point, many of these companies are building out their platforms and their products for the intention of that single product and platform, um, which makes sense in many regards. So there are specific portals where a prescriber could log into and prescribe directly through the platform. There are other models where we're looking at dispensing these through pharmacies and specialty pharmacies. So there are a variety of models right now out there emerging. But part of my work with the Alliance is trying to figure out what does the world look like one day when a patient could be on five digital therapeutics at a single time? What does it look like for a more simplified patient access point? What does it look like for a combined integration of actionable data for healthcare providers where they could see how a patient's depression and sleep and mood and diabetes and walking recovery after a stroke are all integrated into one place? Those ideas are still being developed, and that's why we're trying to bring leaders together industry to figure out what are the best practices, what are frameworks, and what are ways that we could actually scale this in a meaningful way? Yeah, as we're talking, it is becoming more and more obvious to me why an organization such as the Digital Therapeutics Alliance really needs to happen. I'm thinking of two really compelling value props right now. One of them is exactly what you just said. If you've got a patient and they're on five digital therapeutics, I mean, patients, as we all know, have a tough time for all kinds of valid reasons, opening up a pill bottle and taking a pill. If that's the scenario, that's the baseline I don't think it's a plan for success that, okay, patient, log in here at a patient portal for this one and remember your username and password over there. And oh, by the way, for the other one, you go mm-hmm. here and do that and you're signing up all different ways. <laughs> and like, yeah, I, I can see how you'd really want to create what is the best practice? What is the best way to do this? You know, pick the Betamax or the VCR, like pick one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's old school there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm that old. I remember those too. Don't worry. <laughs> But I think the standardization, you know, regardless of which avenue is selected, having one so that patients know the one way to do it and they can learn the one way to do it, I think would be very important. But then on the other hand, and as another aspect, and I'm kind of tracking back to some of the things that you said earlier, it would be really important, especially to the good digital therapeutics, to ensure that there are these standards so that there aren't wild claims made by, let's just say, inferior players. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes very difficult for everybody in the marketplace to have to weed through what is a legit claim versus what is really good marketing. Precisely. What we're doing with that is right now we're starting to look at what types of validation do you need to do to actually claim you're clinically validated? We know that there are a variety of types of evidence you could generate. One of the things we've gone on record saying is that if you're going to be a digital therapeutic, we say that you have to do an adequately powered randomized control trial to ensure that your claims are meeting the expectations of what those claims are. And we want to see that in a peer-reviewed journal that's been published publicly so that way providers and patients and payers can really get a sense of what they're looking at. So, I mean, that's just one of the components of it. I don't want any of these discussion points, though, to take away from the idea that what is currently already evolving on the market is already showing promising potential and it's already showing outcomes that 
looking at examples of Pear and Propeller and Achillean, Welldoc and Volentis, they have already have all of these data points that have really shown strong outcomes. But as this field continues to evolve, I'm continually amazed by the players who are coming into the space. But again, to your point, I am concerned about those who are starting to make claims of, I'm a digital therapeutic. And the second I look at their product, I know that they're not based upon the claims they're making. Or I'm also concerned then about the people and the groups that are making claims about something that are over the top end or just aren't accurate. So I think that's a hard point for payers and healthcare decision makers in terms of, I know they're getting hundreds of emails, let's just say on a weekly basis, if we're being generous with that, (laughs) from these companies saying, hey, I can do this and that. And it's hard for them to know, what should I trust? What should I ask? Who are they really? Where do they fit? Have they done studies? Do they want me to do that? Do they actually have data and outcomes that I could use and engage with right away? What does that look like? It's a confusing space. And mind you, I'm not going to solve those problems for everyone, but I want to at least work with these initial industry stakeholders to figure out how do we start to clarify that process and bring a little bit more continuity and consistency into this world. It really does put an immense burden on providers or provider organizations if there's no standard there. I mean, it would be almost like pharmaceutical companies going to a doctor and being like, we have this compound. We think it works. You know what I'm saying? Like It's pretty. It's pink. (laughs) You should use it. (laughs) It's kind of like, you know, the vitamin industry, right? (laughs) You know, obviously at a much more dangerous level because this is going on in medical settings and the stakes are, are really high or could be. I also interviewed actually Dr. Ethan Bosch, who created, wasn't necessarily a digital therapeutic, but he used patient reported outcomes in a very unique way and actually improved the survivorship of oncology patients, something like six months. That's great to hear. Which was, if you think about it, is as long as some of the new oncology agents that our insurance carriers are paying literally hundreds of thousands of dollars for. If an insurance carrier is willing to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for a pharmaceutical and you've got a digital therapeutic that has been proven, then are you seeing the opportunity for some of these digital tools to be reimbursed? Uh, You know, like that's a hundred thousands of dollars is pretty much money. And looking at that reimbursement perspective, I think where digital therapeutics are unique, and we've touched on this briefly earlier, but they have that ability to actually do value-based contracting. And I know there's a lot of other considerations around value-based contracts, but these are actually coming out with data that is actionable and easy to follow and trackable. So I think that that is another point too, if you could actually start to see that my entire patient population dropped two A1C points over the six-month period that my patients were on these. That is something that an insulin itself wouldn't be able to tell you. And you'd have to do a lot more follow-up with your entire healthcare team to even get that type of information. I think to your point, there is a potential here for payers and decision makers and these companies to really work together to figure out new ways to create different models, but then also still try to optimize the current ones. I think a lot of times I've heard people talk about trying to disrupt, but not interrupt. So they still have to fit within the systems, but I think that they're bringing some unique changes and opportunities for change to these systems that haven't really been possible before now. When you say unique opportunities for changes, like what specifically types of changes are you thinking of? I think along the lines of value 
contracting, just looking at the processes of it, getting the right data and the right timing of the data and proving the outcomes can often be a major challenge of attribution and sources and how you're going to get all the right people or resources in a room to get the right to really know that what you're looking at is verified. Looking at it from the digital therapeutics perspective, it's an easier pull by far. So I think that even that aspect alone of when you're able to look at what types of data sources are coming in and how you could pull those together in a meaningful way is much more likely to lead to a more meaningful value-based contracting process where you have much more confidence in the outcomes that these tools are showing on a per patient and on a population level basis. I understand. So you weren't talking before about using the tools in a value-based payment environment, you know, like some kind of Medicare shared savings program. It obviously makes a whole lot of sense to have. You could, yes. You could, certainly. But what you were talking about was actually how these tools would be paid for. They'd be paid for in some risk-based way. Got it. Yes. And it's a huge possibility to do that. And there's a variety of ways. You could cover these in many different ways right now. But I think that's one area that the industry has been long talking about value-based but we really have never had a great way to do it. And I think that this provides another opportunity to see vast improvements in that area. Yeah, because it is interesting. I mean, they say with population health that, you know, it's similar. And I just said this on a podcast the other day, but I'm going to repeat myself. You know, it's similar to the quote Ogilvy on advertising. He's like, you know, 50% of advertising works. You're just not sure what which 50%. <laughs> it's the same thing with population health. You know, like it's sometimes it's unclear. You're doing a whole bunch of different interventions how they all are synergistic or which ones are working or which ones aren't necessarily. But when you're talking about these digital health tools, because you're collecting data within the tool itself, I, I think what you're saying is it's easier to correlate results to the tool. Indeed. Yes. If I'm a, let's just say a provider at this exact moment in time, what's your advice to me? Like, is there anything in particular that I should be doing right exactly now just to make sure that I don't fall off the end of the bandwagon and like, you know, there's an an inexorable trend that's happening and I am not on that wave? (laughs) I think a lot of it comes down to really knowing what your clinical needs are and knowing where the gaps in care are that you would love to be seeing patients having treatments for but don't currently have that ability. I think that is the first step of just even having that recognition of, I wish I could be providing them a more holistic care spectrum around sleep, mood disorders, other things that come into play in a variety of ways. And then starting to just get a landscape understanding of what types of products are out there. And maybe you really do. You need a an adherence product or you need a diagnostic product or something that's more along the lines of telehealth. But I think starting to understand the different buckets of products that are out there, including digital therapeutics, is really important because it will help, I think, providers start to get a sense of what the potentials are for each of these types of products and how then they could actually apply these back into their practice and apply these to patient care. And then along the lines as we continue to put more materials out from our alliance and our work together, is starting to understand the levels and types of validation these products are undergoing, assessing the clinical outcomes that are even potential. What are the capabilities of each product and expectations that you should have as you're starting to implement these or consider how to implement or be the champion within your organization? And then a lot of it will start to come into play of getting access to those and working with your fellow leaders and colleagues on how do we do this well within our systems. So 
not going to say that this process is easy, but I think that as providers start to understand the capabilities of these and recognize just how much more of a patient they needs that they could address and show outcomes in a really incredible way, I feel like there will start to be much more of a groundswell around that. And insurance carriers, same question. If if I work for an insurance carrier right now, what should I be ensuring that I'm doing? So for that group in particular, I think it's truly important to start to understand the different categories of products that are out there so they know which questions to ask and how to start to weed out the types of products that they are starting to look for. And I'm not saying that every digital therapeutic is going to be perfect for every system or provider or payer, because that's not the case. However, starting to understand what their individual needs are in that health system or in further specific patient population, I think will really start to help them identify and narrow down, okay, we actually do need a digital therapeutic and we need it to address this specific disease state. And we really want to have these types of outcomes and these types of interventions. Who's even out there? And let's start to engage with those types of companies. I feel that having a little bit more of a systematic approach is probably the best way to go here, given the incredible evolution and growth of this industry. And that will only continue to be the case. Yeah, I had Roy Rosen on the podcast. He said something which I love. I don't know exactly who the attribution is, but he said, love the problem, not the solution. And it just it does seem like a common issue, especially with any of these really cool digital tools that people start falling in love with the solution. They hear of one tool, you know, one supplier or or one system, and they really would love to use it and lose track of what exactly they're trying to do at a strategic level. Yeah, keeping that vision is really important. Eventually, as this industry continues to grow, that payers shouldn't be compromising on outcomes. So I had one company and I just killed me. I was presenting and talking about digital therapeutics and this person came up to me. He was a founder of a company and I hope he's doing quite well now. But he's like, clinical outcomes don't really matter that much. It's just the smile on the patient's face that matters. And I didn't know what to say. I was like, well then, okay. And it was a product that I thought should have probably had more outcomes. In this industry, we are looking at ways to talk about mapping lightly to phase one through four trials that a typical drug would go through and the verification, the validation that has to happen and the quality management systems that have to be in place and looking around that usability and making sure the end user really is the core of everything you're doing. You have to have such a robustness around these products that I wouldn't ever want a payer or a decision maker or a provider to ever feel like they have to compromise on something that it looks nice, but it just may not have the right data. But I guess that's all we have to choose from. That shouldn't be the case much longer and hopefully isn't already the case. If someone is interested in learning more about your work at the Digital Therapeutics Alliance, where would you direct them, Megan? Probably to our website to start dtxalliance.org. On our website, we creatively titled our industry report that we put out this past year. And it really lays out some ideas around what the definition is, what the core principles are that all digital therapeutics should have, best practices, and potential areas for value that a payer or a decision maker or provider could start to look at in terms of what should I even be starting to expect from these types of products. Yeah. And I actually did download that PDF earlier and it's really comprehensive and it also, it lays things out in a very digestible way. Glad to hear that. (laughs) And I thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Megan Coder, Executive Director at the Digital Therapeutics Alliance. Such a pleasure. Thank you so much.
Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.